you for joining us today here at Victory. At Victory Church, we are a community of authentic, spirit-led Christ followers transformed to walk in victory. Join us as we begin today's message. Isn't it amazing that we all have a place at that table? That we've all have that invitation into to God's forever family because of Jesus. And it's only possible because of Jesus, and it's only when we accept his invitation into this relationship with him that that happens, but he's done all the work. He's done all the work, and, and it's available for every single one of us. And so first off, if you, if you don't know him, if you're here today and you don't know him, then listen, you're going to have the opportunity today. You don't even have to wait till the end of the service. You have the opportunity to respond. Um, so I want to encourage you to respond in that, and we'll talk about that more later. But that's just so amazing, isn't it? That's so amazing. Um, today, that's not even what we're going to be talking about today. It's just I love that song. And um, you know, I'm always reminded of Luke chapter 5 and how Jesus meets us where we're at and, and these beautiful pictures of how we do have a place at that table. And at the end of that chapter, Jesus is there with Levi, this tax collector. He's, he's, this, he's this misfit, this outcast, this reject, looked down on by other people around him. And, and he, Jesus goes to his house and he's surrounded by all these other rejects, misfits, and outcasts, people that would, nobody else in that day and age would want to have anything to do with. And he goes into this house and he eats with them. Guys, that's a beautiful picture of us with him in glory. It, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. But um, uh, for those of you that have been here for a while, we, we talked about it again today in the announcements. Uh, we've been announcing community groups for a while now. Um, we have the life group. We've had that for a long time. Uh, but the community groups, home-based community groups, um, it's been in the works for a good while. It's just a few weeks uh, that we'll be launching them. So the week of the 21st, the 21st is a Sunday, just a few weeks. Um, that following week is when we're going to be launching them. So it's really quick. It's coming up. You can sign up for that. You'll have the opportunity. Talked about it at the announcements. You'll have the opportunity at the end of service. Have a, a, a booth there and a booth over the, the other door as well. So please do that. So we've been announcing this, and we've been encouraging it, as I'm doing right now, encouraging you guys to plug into this, right, um, for a while. And, and you've probably had some questions about this. It's like, okay, I get it. You, you know, community groups, you've been announcing this a lot. We saw this long video. And, and one of the questions that you might have is, why community groups? Like, what's the big deal? What's the big idea? Why is this so important? Why community groups? And so because of that, we uh, are starting a brand new series titled, Why Community Groups? That's what this whole series is going to be on, okay? We're going to be diving into this question through this series, four sermons, kicking it off today. And as we kick this series off today, I've got a question that, that I want to kind of ask you, okay? And I, I need a little participation. It's a deep a theological question, going to cause you to think a little bit. Okay, you guys ready? A little interaction. You guys ready? Okay. All right. So here's the deep theological question. How many people, how many of you as kids had an imaginary friend? That's my deep theological question for you. Be honest. No judging. Be honest. How many of you as kids had, okay, an imaginary friend? All right. So a few people. Thank you for your honesty. No judging. Uh, another question. Uh, uh, how many of you still to this day as an adult have an imaginary friend. Be honest. Be honest. Raise your hand. Okay, nobody's hands are raised. If you see anybody's hands raised, I was about to say, okay, the people that raised their hand, um, those of you that didn't, everybody else, you need to befriend this person. Take them out to eat. We need to get the ball rolling on this, okay? 
<laughs> but all jokes aside, um, you're probably wondering, where am I going with this? What are you talking about, imaginary friends? What's up with that? So here's the deal. Um, even as kids, we have this just uh, this longing for fellowship and for uh, connection, uh, for uh, relationship, even as kids, just like we do as adults. We're like born with this. Even before we know what it is, we have a longing for it. And really, if we think about it, so much of our life revolves around our need and our desire for connection, for relationship. Which is why when we're kids, when we don't have that, um, let's say we're wanting to play, we're wanting to interact, we're wanting to do something, and we don't have that person to interact with, what we do is we start to uh, create or imagine that person to engage with. That's one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that we do that as kids and obviously as adults sometimes too. <laughs> Imagine, I love you, man. <laughs> um, that, that's why we'll, we'll do that, especially as kids. And we kind of imagine those things. And the reason, one of the main reasons we do that, hear me on this, is because we weren't designed to be alone. We were not designed to be alone. What we need to understand, guys, is that God created us. He designed us for relationships. From the beginning, God designed us for relationships. That's our big idea today. And when I say relationships, I'm not talking about those casual acquaintances like, oh, you know, okay, yeah, I know a few people. If I were to ask that question, well, how many people do you have deep, meaningful relationships with, like accountability, where you actually get together on a pretty consistent basis, not like every few months or so, and you talk about real life issues, things that are going on in your life. And if we were to ask that question, if we're honest with ourselves, so often, most of us, it's like, I don't really know. Maybe one, maybe two, if that, right? So I'm not talking about just casual relationships. I'm talking about deep, meaningful, real, raw, intimate relationships. Because that's what we were designed for from the beginning. And in the context of small groups, which we're calling community groups, what we have seen for a long time, what we have seen is this is one of the best ways to foster those relationships, but also to sustain them. And so that's one of the things that we're going to be diving into as we dive into this question, why community groups, um, starting today. But before we dive deeper, let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this forever family that we're a part of because of you. I thank you that you have created us, you've designed us for relationship, not as robots just to go about life, doing work, doing different things, and, and constantly on the go, but we, you have designed us intentionally for meaningful, intimate, real, raw relationships, a relationship most importantly with you, but then also relationships past that as well with others. And God, I thank you so much for that. I pray if there's anybody here today that has not responded to your invitation to relationship, this relationship with Jesus, I pray that you would open their eyes, open their heart, and help them to respond. Help them to see that it's not about what they can do or, or will do, it's about what you have already done in their place. I pray for those of us that have already responded to that relationship that you would draw us closer and closer and closer just like with every relationship knowing that, that we need to continue uh, um, allowing you to nurture that and drawing closer and closer to you as we grow in our relationship with you. I thank you so much that we get to be in this relationship with you. And, and Father, I pray that... Uh, pray that you take over this service. Holy Spirit, I pray that we are able to just feel you tangibly, that you speak in me and through me, this broken, sinful man. I pray that you would speak to me and to your people and do what only you can do. 
I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so as we kick this off, as we dive into this question, why community groups? Um, one of the best places to start, if we're going to start anywhere, one of the best places to start is where? It's at the beginning, right? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning, and that's what we're going to be concentrating on today. Uh, the beginning meaning the creation account, all right? So Genesis chapter 1, uh, Genesis chapter 2, talking about that. Um, so when it comes to the creation account, I'm going to ask you another question. This one's actually kind of a serious question, all right? Not that the other one wasn't serious. But um, when it comes to the creation account, when God created something, what did he say after he created something he declared over his creation after he created it. What would he say? It's good. It's good, right? That's what he would say. He would create something. He would say, it's good. Create something else. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's good. That's what we see throughout the entire creation account. But then what happens is we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and then something happens there throughout this creation account where God creates things. It's always good. It's always good. It's always good. And then something happens. It should jump off the page at us, kind of grabs our, our attention. And check out what that is. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It says, Then the Lord God said, catch this, this is it. It is not good. Let me read that again. It is not good for what? For man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. Okay, so did you catch that? Did you catch that? Like, God just said, throughout his creation account, every time he creates something, it's good. It's good, it's good, it's good. And then all of a sudden he says, it's not good. Good. And remember the context of what's going on in this scene. God is creating things. Right? This is pre-sin. Sin has not come in and disrupted God's beautiful creation yet. Right? We did a good job with that afterwards. Right? But that has not happened yet. That's Genesis 3. This is all God's doing. This is all on God. So everything that God has created up to this point, pre-sin, all good. And then he says something about his creation that has not been tarnished by sin yet that is not good. Why is that? Why is that? Did God make a mistake? Is that what happened? Like God made a mistake. He's like, he's doing all these really good things, creating things. It was good. It was good. And then all of a sudden he makes a mistake and he has to go back and correct it. Is that what happened? No. God doesn't make mistakes. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He is perfect. He does not make mistakes. So it begs the question, why? Why did he do this? The reason that God did this, he did this intentionally to serve almost like this neon sign for us, to grab our attention and say, look, 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 do not miss this. Do not miss this. It is not good for man to be alone. In other words, there is a core uh, 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 need that every single one of us have, a core need for relationship that every single one of us have. It's not like a request. It's not a good idea. It is a core need. It is not good for man to to be alone. And what's important to understand about the context too is listen, remember Adam's not alone. Adam's not fully alone, right? Who's with him? God's with him, right? Like God was with Adam in this scene. And so Adam is not completely alone. He has God. That's the number one relationship that we're created with. But what this shows us is that Adam, along with every single one of us, were created for another type of relationship, a God-given need. It is a need that we have for relationship outside of just the relationship that we have with God. 
And what happens is we, we go to the next part of that verse, talks about uh, you know, a helper or a helpmate, depending on the, the text, to, to correspond with him, corresponding to him, right? And then you also fast forward down the line a few verses and you see the first wedding ceremony. And it's this beautiful picture of, wedding, of a wedding. You can draw so much from that text and even outside of that too. But what happens is so often we read this text and God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And then we look at the next part of that verse and then we fast forward down the line to these, this other text right here where it's the marriage ceremony. And we're like, wait a second. So God's talking about how we need to get married. And that's the ultimate fulfillment of this need, this longing that we have, this relationship need, core need that we have. That's what fulfills it is a marriage relationship. But here's the thing, I want to I dive a little deeper into this, and I want to kind of research this with you, because here's the thing, I don't think God is just talking about marriage, and I want to show you why. There's a lot of reasons why I say this, but I want to look at one reason with you, and I think this one reason is enough. Check this out, check this out. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 through 9. This is the Apostle Paul's words, by the way, one of the greatest evangelists that ever lived. Check this out. He said, I say to the unmarried and to widows, it is good for them, check that out, it is good for them if they remain as I am. By the way, Paul was single. He never got married, right? But if they do not have self-control, they should marry, since it is better to marry than to burn with desire. Okay, so don't miss this. Don't miss what just happened. We read these two decks pretty much back to back here. The Genesis account, 2.18, God says it's not good for man to be alone. You follow that up, the next part of the verse, right? Then fast forward down the marriage ceremony. It's like, wait a second, he's talking about marriage, right? And then we read, we read Paul's words, happened several thousand years later, where Paul's encouraging some people not to get married. You know, and it's like, what's going on here? What is, I mean, and it's different parts of the Bible. You got the very beginning of the Bible, then you got the New Testament, right? First Corinthians, almost like midway through the New Testament there. Different parts of the Bible, so it's easy to miss this. But when we look at them together, it's like, what's up with this? And I want to pause there for a second. We're going to come back to that. But first, I want to make sure we understand something. Paul is not dogging marriage, right? He is not belittling or, or talking bad about marriage. He's not against marriage, in other words, all right? Paul's not against marriage. The context kind of more that he's going for here is, look, if you feel called to do so, then you should not get married, right? If you, it, uh, don't get married, in other words, just for marriage's sake, right? Uh, don't do that. And, but if you feel called to get married, uh, or if you burn with desire, what Paul's talking about there, almost like, like struggling with lust, right, things of that nature, then it would be better for you to get married. That's what he's saying. Sometimes it's good to get married. Sometimes it's good not to. But again, when we look at both of these texts back to back, God's word, not good for man to be alone, looks like the marriage. And then Paul's words, it looks like there's this dilemma outside looking in as we skim through it. It looks like Paul is contradicting God's words. And it generates this question, like, why? Why would Paul contradict God's words? Right? Why would he do that when, when he says it's not good for man to be alone? And here's the quick, simple answer to that. He wouldn't. He wouldn't. He was the greatest evangelist that ever lived. He wouldn't, right? And he didn't. What we need to understand is that God is not just talking about marriage here. Marriage is not the overall, all-encompassing fulfillment to the God-given core need, core need that we all have for relationship, for companionship. That is not what God is talking about here. If it was, 
Don't miss this. If it was, when he said, it's not good for man to be alone, then the apostle Paul, greatest evangelist that ever lived, one of the most godly men that ever lived, would have encouraged everyone to get married. Not only that, he would have probably been married himself, right? That makes sense. He would have been married himself. And then don't forget don't forget this, too. We talk about this dilemma. It looks like a dilemma between the Apostle Paul and God, almost like this contradiction from the outside looking in when we compare them uh, together, just skimming through it. But here's the thing. What looks like a dilemma between the Apostle Paul and God, if we, if we remember, what does the Word of God tell us about all Scripture? All Scripture is God-breathed, right? Meaning what? Meaning that while the apostles and the prophets wrote the Bible, physically wrote it, who was it inspired by? It's inspired by God right? Meaning it's not just God's words that we see over here in Genesis. This is God's words that we see through the apostle Paul. They're both God's words. From the outside looking in, what looks like a dilemma or a contradiction between the apostle Paul and God looks like really, if we understand scripture correctly, all scriptures God breathe. It's more like a dilemma, seeming dilemma between God and God, God's word and God's word. So not only would the apostle Paul not contradict God, listen to me, God would not contradict himself. God wouldn't contradict himself. Again, we need to understand that the marriage relationship is not God's overall, overarching uh, fulfillment of the core God-given need that we all have, every single one of us, for relationship. When he says it's not good for man to be alone. And so at this point, you might be kind of wondering, well, then why was God's first response? When he said that, Genesis 2.18, first response um, after he says it's not good for man to be alone was for him to get married. Why was that the first response? He created Eve, he was married, what's up with that? Well, first off, that wasn't the first response. If you read it, we're not going to read it for the sake of time. Um, just a little bit of scripture here. We actually only have like another verse or two, and that's it. That, so I encourage you to go back and read it for yourself. But that's not the first response. What's the first response after Genesis 2.18, before the marriage? Something happens in between. The thing with the animals, right? Where God brings all the animals to Adam, right? Again, go back and read it for yourself. He brings all the animals to Adam, and he has them name them. All right, and there's a lot to this. There's, there's so many different things that we could talk about with it. Implications, uh, talking about how God is creative. He wants us to be creative with him and, and also lording over them. And we have a negative, we think of lording over them in a negative context because of sin, but it's in a loving way where we get to be involved in God's creation with God. Adam gets to name all kinds of really cool things, right? But something in the context of what we're talking about here, when God says it's not good for man to be alone, and right after that he brings the animals to Adam, Adam gets to name the animals. A lot of things there, right? So he, he brings the animals to, to, to Adam. But here's the thing. What he's doing is he is solidifying his words in Adam, showing him practically, look, it's not good for you to be alone. In other words, you have a core God-given need for companionship, for relationship that nothing else that exists right now can meet. That is one of the main things, one of the big things that we can't miss from that. And so what does Adam do? In that scene, he has all these animals coming up to him. I don't know, I'm imagining, I don't know what animals were there, but imagine like, you know, he, he sees this furry animal with like a long tail and it's awesome and everybody loves it, right? Adam's, Adam loves it, he knows everybody else will. He's like, this is dog. This is gonna be man's best friend, dog, right there from the get-go because everyone loves dogs, right? Then he sees this other, an, this other animal and he's like, man, that thing is horrible, get it out of here. It's a cat because nobody likes cats, amen? Amen, anybody cat lover in here? 
I love you. I don't like cats. I love you. I'm just being honest. But, and you know, what's this? Oh, this is a horse. So every, every animal that he brings up, he, he is an, he's invited to share in this process. And it's amazing. He's not, this isn't a mean, vindictive thing that God is doing. There's a lot of cool things, and Adam's enjoying this process, right? But with every animal that he sees, hear me on this, he is learning more and more. Wait a second. None of these things are fulfilling this need that I have. It's really neat, and it's great, but there's still something missing there's still something missing what is that what is that and then after that after the animal account then God puts Adam to sleep he performs the first surgery ever takes the rib from Adam right makes Eve brings Eve to Adam and then Adam loses his ever-loving mind this dude goes crazy he like breaks out in a poetic love song to this girl Eve because he's losing his mind check this out Uh, this is Genesis uh, chapter 2 Verse 23, the last part of verse 23. This is Adam's words. This is steamy stuff right here. This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. Again, Adam, he was losing his mind with joy. He was overcome with joy. And he was so in love uh, with Eve as well, overcome with joy. And so this is an amazing, incredible picture of the first marriage and the importance of marriage. And we can learn so much about marriage. Don't get me wrong. So important, all right? But here's the thing. I don't want to nullify that. But here's the thing. So often we stop there. So often we stop there as if that's the only story that we see here the only thing that's going on here, right? It's like, okay, God said it's not good for man to be alone. He he created the first uh, marriage ceremony, and and so that's what God wants us. He just wants all of us to get married. That's it. God wants us all to get married. Bam, solution right there, problem solved. But guys, listen to me. There's more to this. Again, it's not just about marriage. There's a couple of things um, that we need to understand when we get to this text, okay? First thing is this. God did not say, Listen to me. God did not say that it is not good for people to be single. He did not say it's not good for people uh, to be single. In other words, hear me very clearly. Singleness is not a sin. Singleness is not a sin. And there's times, um, too, where it's almost like people with singleness and then maybe they don't get married throughout their life can be looked down or condemned because it's like they're single. Almost like this idea. I'm not saying everybody. I'm not saying you guys do that, but It happens. It's like they're condemned or looked at. Like if you were really walking in God's will, you would get married. But here's the thing, guys. The Apostle Paul, one of the greatest evangelists ever, one of the most godly men ever, was single. And he also encouraged some people to be single. Again, singleness is not a sin. God did not say that it is not good for people to be single. He said it's not good for man to be alone. Number two thing that we need to understand as we approach this text is God is telling us that we have a God-given need for relationship with other people plural other people not just in the context of marriage and again that is someone and a beautiful way that God helps us with this a beautiful way I do not want to undermine that but he's not just talking about in the context of marriage he's talking about in a relationship with other people that's why when when Adam goes crazy uh, with joy over this girl there's a, there's different reasons right that he's going crazy here uh, part of what he says is this let me read it to you again and, and I want you to listen to the language Listen to Adam's words carefully, just part of it. This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. 
listen to me, one of the big reasons, there's different reasons, okay, multiple reasons, but one of the big reasons that Adam loses his mind with joy, other than the fact that she's a woman and he gets to marry her, is because, catch this, she was like him. She was like him. One of the things that I think is so often missed in the context of this story is it's not just the fact that Adam was single and, and, you know, wanted a wife. That would have been nice. He didn't know what a wife was, but it's like, yeah, that's awesome. But one thing that we need to understand, putting yourself in the shoes of Adam, is the fact that Adam was completely alone, meaning he had God and the animals, but when it came to being a human being, a living, breathing human being, there was no one else. No one, not one other person on God's green earth. And that's why it's one of the big reasons when God creates Eve, not the only reason, one of the big reason, he goes crazy. Think about, think about that movie, Castaway. Has anybody ever seen that movie, Castaway, in here? Any movie buffs in here? I love movies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so for those of you, if anybody does not know uh, that movie, Castaway, uh, Tom Hanks' character. He doesn't talk like half the time, but he still does an amazing job because he's Tom Hanks. So I don't even remember what the character's name was. Um, but he uh, it gets stranded on a deserted island, right? He's stranded on this island. He's the only person there, nobody else. He's there for like years, a long time. And he longs for human, human, human companionship so much so that what does he do? What does he do? He befriends, it's a, it's a, so, it was a soccer ball or volleyball? Volleyball? Okay, a volleyball. Some people said soccer, volleyball, soccer, ball. Yeah, that thing. So anyway, a volleyball. We'll say volleyball. He befriends a volleyball. And, and, and what else does he do? He gives it a face. He gives it a face. And he has more meaningful, deep conversations with this volleyball than most of us do with our friends. And he's talking back and forth with this thing constantly because he has this need. He is longing so much for human companionship. And it's like, this is his best friend. And then you see that, that, that line, you actually just said it. Uh, Wilson, like he, I mean, it's, an, it's a really sad scene. Quick story, I wasn't going to say this, but I just remembered this. I remember when we watched this, my mom, I love her so much. She might watch this later, so I love you, mom, so much. Um, when we watched that movie, me and my brother, my mom, something you have to understand, she is the sweetest, most loving woman alive, okay? Um, she really is. I'm not just saying that to get brownie points. She is. Um, but she's, she's also uh, very, very, um, um, best way to say this, I don't know, it can be dramatic, okay? Hopefully I don't get in trouble for that. And so, <laughs> so, so we're watching this movie, me and my brother and my mom, and my mom, she would cry during movies, and after the movie, too, she would always have, like be sobbing, like very, very loud, like, oh, my goodness. And, and she would like stand up and hold our hands like, boys, you know, and, and she would tell us like something that we should learn, a moral-type thing or a good story, something good that we need to be carrying with us. And it was very awkward. Like right there after the movie, we had to stand up and hold our mom's hands. It was weird. But anyways, um, I remember during that scene, the Wilson scene, my mom cried out with tears, Poor Wilson! Like everybody, I mean, people turning around, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is horrible. I'll never forget that. But anyways, anyways, this side sidetracking here, getting, getting back to the point. So yeah, I mean, he, he, is, he is longing for human companionship, and he has this volleyball, makes a face, intimate relationship. Now, I want you, I want you to imagine something, all right? So go here with me for, for just a moment. If, um, if somebody were stranded on a deserted island and they had nobody at all to talk to, no human companionship whatsoever for years, for years this has gone on, right? And, and they're probably going to have several more years coming up. They have no clue when this is going to end, right? 
If you were able to drop in on that person for just a couple quick minutes and then you had to leave, that was it. And you were to come up to that person and say, I know what you need. I know what you need. You need a spouse. That's what you need more than anything. That's what you need in this situation. You're going to be here for a long time, buddy. You need a spouse. What do you think that person would probably say to you in that, uh, in that scene, in that situation? I'm, I'm just thinking, just, this is just me. I'm just thinking, this would probably play out like this. They look at you and be like, dude, bro, I have been alone for years talking to nothing but rocks, trees, and animals that don't want to eat me. Usually the other ones just run away. Nothing. And I have no clue when I'm going to be able to have any kind of a meaningful conversation or a human to interact with, talk with something, if ever. Like, dude, listen to me. It doesn't matter if it's a spouse or Big Mike. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they dress like, what they sound like. It doesn't matter what their past is. Even if they don't speak the same language, we'll work through that, man. I just need a human being, human companionship, okay? And if it can be a spouse, that's just icing on the cake, man, okay? Like, I ain't saying no to the spouse thing. That's cool. But I need human companionship, human companionship. Listen to me, what do you think, think about this for a second, going back to the castaway deal, what do you think Tom Hanks would have done, his, his character anyways, Tom Hanks' character, would have done if he had been there for years, Wilson's the only person, person, the only volleyball that he gets to talk to, interact with, right? And then some other person, an actual person, not a volleyball, lands on his island. They're, they're uh, like, nobody else is there. They're um, cast away as well. They land there, and, I mean, it's just some random dude, whoever, right? They land on the island, and they're still alive. And Tom Hanks' character sees him. What do you think he would have done after years without even seeing another human being? What do you think he would have done? Probably would have lost his mind with joy. He probably would have been jumping up and down for joy like, oh my goodness, you're a person. You're, you're like me. You have a face. You can talk. Oh my, are you, are you actually understand what I'm saying? I've been talking to a stupid volleyball for years. Oh my, like going crazy. Like who? Like who? Like Adam. Like Adam, right? They see in this scene, and again, it's not just that. There's also the women bit and the marriage, and it's just even better, but... But what we need to understand is when, when Eve was created for Adam, it fulfilled this core need, this longing need that he had of human companionship because she was like him. She was like him. She had, um, she had two arms, uh, two legs, two eyes, a nose, a mouth, a face. Uh, she walked like him. She talked like him. But more importantly than anything else, this is what we need to catch. This is the most important part. She was created in the image of God like him. That was the most important part. And that fulfilled that core God-given need, that longing that he had, that he had been searching for, and all these things like the animals could not find. And Eve fulfilled that for Adam. Guys, listen to me. We need to understand relationship is a core need. It is a core need. It is not uh, just, you know, a, a, a good advice. It's not just a good idea. It is a core need that we all have. And if you don't believe me, human companionship with other people, if you don't believe me, then try living on a deserted island for years and see what happens with no interaction whatsoever. Don't actually try it. That would be a horrible idea. But just think about that. 
Even thinking about that, it's like, man, that'd be horrible. I wouldn't survive a week. I'm extremely extroverted. That would, that would be horrible. And you think about it too, practically speaking, think about it in a prison setting. In a prison setting, uh, a solitary confinement, it's like what? It's like a prison within a prison, right? That's, prisoner, that's prison for the prisoners. Why is that? It's because they are alone with no companionship, no other people around them. At least in the prison environment, they got other people around them, but you separate them from everybody else. You isolate them. No other human companionship, nobody to talk to whatsoever. That is crazy. That is a a prison within a prison, the epitome of prison. And guys, listen to me. Even secular psychologists and medical doctors, secular meaning non-religious, no religious affiliation, are starting to see more and more. They have for a long time, but more and more and more research is coming out, and they're finding out what God said all the way back in the beginning. All the way back at the beginning, neon sign, it is not good for a man to be alone. They would not contribute to God. They wouldn't say, oh, I believe it because of that. But they are finding out medically more and more psychologists, medical doctors, how true that is actually is because again it's been medically proven time and time again listen this chronic loneliness this has been proven so many times chronic loneliness oftentimes leads to chronic disease in us chronic disease it leads to things like listen to this um a risk of uh increased depression anxiety high blood pressure a decreased immune response Increased risk for Alzheimer's disease, dementia. That's just a few. That's just a few, right? And, but the sad reality is, hear me on this. The sad reality is that we have not taken God's warning side that he gave us at the beginning. It's not good to, for man to be alone. You have a core need for human companionship, for relationship with other people. He is, we have not taken this seriously. And as a result, hear me on this. As a result, we have this, this epidemic of chronic loneliness in our country an epidemic of chronic loneliness in our country right here, right now, today. And what's so sad if you think about that? Epidemic of chronic loneliness in the United States right here, right here, right now, today. What's so crazy is, guys, listen to me, we live in a society where we have more availability and more ease to socialize with other people through the context of social media, but then also because we have more roads, we have more access places to go, we have like different coffee shops, more places to meet. Yes, we are busier, but really what, what happens is we have more excuses. That's really what it's more about. We have more availability, more ease to relationships and connecting than we have ever had in the history of mankind. And it continues to get better and better and better. But as our ease of connectivity, accessibility to connectivity continues to get better and better and better, listen to me, what happens is, statistically speaking, it seems like we, as far as socially and relationally and connectivity-wise, are getting worse and worse. And it's so crazy. I I was doing a lot, I've done a lot of research on this in the past, and I, I was doing more research on this this week. And um, I came across another uh, study. It's a well-known health study. It, it came out very recently, this health organization. It, it consisted of 20,000 people nationwide. So not just in one region. Nationwide, 20,000 people. A very well-known health organization, doctors and whatnot that are overseeing this, right? Um, so many of them secular, uh, non-religious affiliation, okay? 
here's, here's a few things, okay? I just, wanna, I just wanna hit on this. This is crazy. In this study, what they found, this is recent, 46% of Americans sometimes or always feel alone. That's almost half of our population. 46% of Americans sometimes or always feel alone. And 43% of Americans sometimes or always feel that the relationships, catch this, are not meaningful. That's almost half of our country. That feels like our relationships are not meaningful. A, a couple more things that shocked me were the fact that most people in America feel like they don't have anyone in their life that really know them that well. Most people. And most people feel, catch this, like the people that they are surrounded by are, these are quote, quotations, are not necessarily with them. Most people. That's that feeling of being like isolated, feeling like you're isolated in a crowded room. And based on this study, recent study, that's how most of us feel in this country the majority of the time. Something else that's, that's crazy. Guess, guess which generation is considered the loneliness? Statistically speaking, which generation is the loneliness? It's Generation Z. Generation Z is made up of 18 to 22-year-olds. People that you would think would be like in the prime of their life, college, making connections, making those friendships that a lot of times last for life. Now, a lot of, you know, there's growing to do and maturing to do, but the relationships mature with it. A lot of times those relationships that you make in those ages are relationships that stick with you. But according to statistics, that is the most lonely generation that exists in our country today. And so what this shows us is, statistically speaking, it seems like it's getting worse with the generations. So this isn't just something that we need to address for our own sake, although it very much is. Because there's a chronic epidemic of loneliness for all of us, right? But hear me on this. It's not just something we need to address for our own sake. This is something that we need to address for our children's sake. We need to address this for our kids' sake. Because hear me, if they don't, based on statistics, if they don't, then most likely, if this trend continues, then the next generation most likely will end up being the loneliest. The next generation will be the loneliest. Our kids, the majority of our kids, talking about little kids, I've got a six, almost a soon-to-be seven-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Our kids, the vast majority of them will be lonely the vast majority of their lives. Let that sink in. The vast majority of them. And hear me on this, if we don't teach them, and not just through our words, but through our actions, showing, modeling for them how to connect in meaningful, real, raw, intimate relationships, not casual acquaintances, not just through social media, face-to-face, intimate relationships. If we don't teach them the importance, practically show them, model it for them in our own lives on a consistent basis, not only will the majority of them be lonely the majority of their lifetime, but get this, they won't even really know how to actually connect in meaningful, real, raw relationships. So they will stay lonely the majority of their lives. Because we've got to let that sink in. I mean, this is such a huge issue in our lives and in our, our kids' lives. And, and hear me, if, if this stuff isn't sinking in, you're, for whatever reason, you're like, look, whatever. I still don't think it's a big deal. Whatever. That's crazy, first of all, but, but let me, one more thing. 
One more thing, okay? One more statistic I want to give you. I, I, I wanted to make sure I don't throw too much at you with statistics, but I want to make sure we understand this. Another study done by researchers at, at Brigham University, um, Young University, I'm sorry, found that isolation alone, no pun intended there, isolation, chronic loneliness, right? Um, that by itself increases the risk of death by, get this, 30%. Not talking about other underlying, you know, medical issues, ailments that are going on to contribute with this just chronic loneliness, severe loneliness and isolation. That by itself increases our risk for death, all of us, by 30%. Some estimations have it as high as 60%. 30 to 60%. And listen to me, I don't say this stuff to scare us. That's, that's not the point. I'm saying this to wake us up to a reality. Because regardless of what we feel and regardless of what we think, this is a reality. The fact that we are depriving ourselves of our God-given need for relational connection. And when I say relational connection, listen to me, I'm not talking about, again, casual conversations. I'm not talking about uh, just you know, social media type of you know, interactions with people. I'm not even talking about just for practical purposes. Listen to me. I'm not even talking about like a quick meet and greet for a couple of minutes before or after church. I'm talking about real, meaningful, intimate, raw relationships. And so at this point, you're probably wondering, okay, dude, how does this connect with community groups, right? That's the point of this series, why community groups? Let's get back to this question, why community groups, right? What's up with this? How does this connect? So let me answer that for you. One of the best ways for a long time, and we're going to talk about how long. This is actually a biblical model. For a very long time, we have seen in the Christian community, but not just in the Christian community, secular communities are seeing this, that one of the best ways for us to actually foster and develop these kind of intimate relationships, real, raw, intimate, meaningful relationships, is in the context of small groups. One of the best ways. Like, think about it. If you're talking about real, raw, intimate relationships on a consistent basis, it's kind of hard if you were to go up to somebody on the side of the street and say, hey, bro, you want to get in a deep, intimate relationship with me? If you do that, man, I don't know, you might come back with a black eye or something. It might not be pretty. You know, it's like, it doesn't work like that. And it takes time, right? It takes time. It takes a certain type of environment and int intentionality behind it. But here's the other thing. When you're talking about connecting with people on that intimate, real, raw, intimate level, beyond that, it's also the kind of people that we're involving ourselves. It's one thing to have friends, casual acquaintances, you, somebody that you walk, uh, watch the game with, Billy over here that you watch the game with from time to time. But Billy that you watch the game with may be great to watch the game with, but if you're married, he's not, and he gives you some kind of marital advice that causes you, uh, you know, to, to really go south with your marriage, that's not going to be a good thing, right? So it's the kind of people that we are connecting with in these groups, right? So it's like-minded people. That's why it's so important, faith-based, more importantly, Christ-centered, Christ-centered group. And that, again, it is across the board, one of the best, by far, environments to be able to create, foster, nourish these kind of intimate, real, lasting relationship, but not just to create, but to sustain, but to sustain on a consistent basis. That's why I and, and we are so, so um, just uh, passionate 
about these small groups is not just to create small groups for the sake of small groups. That's not what this is. This is so important. It is so deep. And listen to me, it is so true to who we are, how we have been designed as people, as children of God. All right? And, and some of the things, just to, just to kind of wrap it up with this, some of the practical things about these groups. With community groups, typically it's about 8 to 12 people, give or take. That's not, that's not um, uh, only 8 to 12 people. They're meeting host homes. We're going to launch three groups. One will be meeting here. We're waiting for a host home. We may keep one here. I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. But the host homes, there's something intimate about that meeting in people's homes and doing life together. And then what happens in these smaller group settings, just a few families or, or singles that are meeting together, that is when we are able to actually apply so many of the things that we talk about on Sunday morning, some of the things that we read about in the Word of God, whether it's at church or individually. We're able to live them out and to apply them in the context of, of meaningful relationships. Things like discipleship. Being a disciple, an intentional disciple of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, we're told to continue moving in the direction of Jesus, right? Continue growing more and more like Jesus, diving into his word, growing into relationship with him, practically doing that in a group with other people, right? Discipleship evangelism, one of the things that we want to do, uh, outreach type opportunities for the church as a whole, but then also with these groups in the tech context of these, of these small groups as well. Accountability. So we talk about accountability a lot, right? The importance of accountability, and biblically, there's a lot of things that's all over the place. One of my favorites, James 5, 16, uh, confess your sins to one another, pray for each other so that you may be healed, right? Talking about physical healings, but there's so much more to that as well. The importance of accountability, how do you do that unless it's in the context of a meaningful, real, raw, deep relationship? Because the accountability, if it's not deep relationship, the accountability will be superficial just like the relationship. The accountability will only go as deep as the relationship is. And that's one of the things we're able to do, actually have real accountability in, in these groups as well. And even things like learning more about the Bible. You know, we have these questions like, okay, well, well, I hear about the Bible, and we talk about this a lot. I know the pastor talks about this a lot, and, and the Bible, and, and some practical ways. We're going to go through this discipleship one-on-one group. That's one of the things we'll talk about is how to actually read the Bible and the context and different things like that and, and apply it. But, but it's like, okay, well, I got this information up here, but then applying it, I need to do that, and I still am struggling. I'm working through some of these things. I, I'm, I, it makes more sense, but I need some help, right? And the other thing is I need accountability with it. Because how many people in here have said, okay, I'm going to read the Bible on a consistent basis, right? And you're so passionate about it. You get into it for two or three days, and then you just fall off the wagon all over again. Well, in the context of these small groups, you can have accountability for those kinds of things. You can learn more about the Bible. Ask these questions. Man, like, what's a good place to start? What does this mean? What is it, you know, or even just like daily interactions, daily things that we're struggling with. What does this mean? You have people from all kinds of spheres, whether it's, um, you know, experience-wise, whether it's Christian maturity-wise, whatever. And we're able to help each other grow through these processes the way that we were meant to the way that we were meant to. That's, that's why this is so, so important. And there's so many other things to this as well. We could keep on going on. And again, we've got three more sermons. One of the things we're going to be talking about next week is that this is actually the most biblical model because the idea behind this, community groups in homes, right? The idea behind it is to have essentially these little home churches in different areas, 
right? That are all connected to a larger local church body. One of the most biblical, the most biblical model that exists. And here's the thing. I want to wrap it up with this. When it comes to community groups, at the heart of community groups, we see the gospel. Because that's something that we say all the time. Everything that we do is gospel-centered, gospel centrality. It's all centered on the gospel, the overarching theme of the Bible, the gospel message of Jesus Christ, right? And so it's like, okay, well, why is the heart of community groups, why is the center of that the gospel? It's because with community groups, what you're doing, just like right now, you are being invited into intimate relationship. Into intimate relationship. With the gospel message, listen to me, you were created for relationship with God. That relationship was severed because of what? Because of our sin. Separated us from God. And so what did God do? God came down in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, to pay our punishment for our sins on the cross meant for us. And then he extends the offer to us to come back into a right relationship with him. An intimate, real, raw, meaningful, lasting relationship with him. And so as the the worship team comes up, I'm going to encourage you guys to come on up. First of all, if you have never you've never accepted that invitation to that relationship with Jesus then first off I I want to encourage you I want to encourage you to accept that invitation and we say this all all the time for anybody that may be new here today or maybe you've heard this but it just hasn't sunk in listen to me this message is not about what you can do Jesus meets us where we're at he'll save you where you are at He's already done the work. He's already bought you your freedom. He's already bought your redemption. The question is, are you going to receive it? Are you going to accept it? Are you going to accept his invitation? The word tells us he stands at the door and he knocks. He knocks and he waits patiently for us to open the door and respond to his invitation to this relationship. So again, if you were here today, you've never responded to that relationship. It's not about what you've done or can do. It's not about how much you know. If you're like, I don't know anything about the Bible. I'm really struggling. I'm really Listen to me. I'll meet you where you're at, wherever that is. So I want to encourage you, if you've never responded to that invitation to that relationship with Jesus, please, please do that today. Don't wait. Don't wait. I'll, I'll be up here um, here in just a moment. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. I'll be up here. I'd love to talk with you. If you have questions about it, if you need prayer, the altar will be open. If you have anything else that God's putting on your heart, you need prayer, anything at all that you need prayer about, again, altar will be open. I'll be here. We have a prayer team as well. If more people come up, the prayer team will come up here and pray with you. And the other thing that I want to extend to every single one of us, and I want to make sure that we understand this, every single one of us, I want to encourage us to respond in this way. And that is by getting involved in community groups. Getting involved in this. Because we are so good at making excuses, aren't we? We're so good. I don't have enough time, and I I got this going on, I got that going on, but listen to me. If you're making that excuse, well, I'm just going to wait, I'll put it off, and I'll get to it eventually. Most of the time, a lot of times, that never happens. So listen, I'm going to encourage you to get involved in this, okay? And one of the things we've worked on is we want to make it available, increasing the availability, having three groups, hopefully on three different days. And if you're here today and you're like, dude, legit, I I work and I can't really get involved every single week, and it's not a cop-out, it's not an excuse, like really? What I would tell you is get involved as much as you can. Don't let that be your excuse to never get involved because one time, two times a month is better than never. All right, so get involved. The way that you can do that, we've got this 
a round table right here. We're going to have somebody stationed over there. We've got a round table over here at that door. So regardless of the door you go out, you can sign up right there. If you have questions, ask us, okay? This time I want to encourage you guys to stand. Well, we're going to sing one last song before we dismiss. But whatever God has put on your heart, whatever way that he's calling you to respond, I encourage all of us to respond in some way. Guys, first off, I just want to say thank you for joining us today for the sermon. And uh, whether you're somebody that's come to our church or you're somebody that lives locally, you go to another church, maybe you don't even live here. Um, I just want I just want to say first and foremost, thank you for joining us. And uh, I, I want to encourage you to, to respond in some way today because, you know, when we hear a sermon, when we read the Bible, when we, um, whatever it may, may be, the point of that is, um, for God to speak to us in some way, shape, or form. And so if you are a Christian, um, you've been a seasoned Christian, you know the Lord already, then the way that we can respond is just by, you know, asking Him, God, what do you want me to do with the convictions that you're giving me uh, based on this sermon, the way that you're speaking to me? What do you want me to do? And then respond to that. Maybe it's an area of your life that you've been holding on to um, and, and you haven't been giving it to Him. And I want to encourage you to give that to Him and step out in faith. Or maybe if it's, um, you know, some unbelief that you've had and, and God has really convicted you of some things. Um, you know, whatever it may be for you, it's different for everyone. I want to encourage you to respond to God and, and step in His direction. And, and the other thing too is if, if you are somebody that maybe you've listened to this and you've never responded to that gospel message, you've never been, been impacted by that gospel message, but now something is happening, God is kind of stirring in your heart and in your mind a little bit, then I want to encourage you to step out in faith, respond to that gospel message. And throughout the book of Acts, um, Acts tells us our history as a church. Uh, it shows us that you know, what that response looks like. So number one is to repent. And this word repent, all that means is just to turn from you know, our sinful ways, our sinful desires, you know, turn from making ourself God and all these other things in life God, and turn to God and just give Him our life. Um, and, and then on top of that response, after the repentance, there comes something else. It's called baptism. And, and baptism is so key. It's so important. It's seen all throughout um, that book and Acts and, and the importance and significance of it. Um, it's the symbol of death to the old self and, and then um, birth to uh, this new life in Christ. And we're, we're, we, we're, uh, we die with Christ to the old self and we are raised with Christ to, to walk in this new life. And it's a command from Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you have made that commitment to Christ, if you have stepped out um, and you are wanting to follow Christ, then I want to encourage you to take that next step and be baptized somewhere. Whether it's if you have a local church that you want to go be baptized at, I encourage you to do that. Um, if you don't have a church, we would love to be able to celebrate that with you um, here. But I encourage you first and foremost to do that, to, to talk with someone, um, to get counsel on what this means, to seek discipleship as well. So. Uh, I encourage you to do those things. We would love to talk with you. We are praying for you. I want you to know that you are loved and you are prayed for. So if you're ready to take that next step in your relationship with Christ, um, and if you want to take that next step with us, then we, are, we, we would welcome you with open arms. And so there's some links that we're going to provide below for you. Uh, please check that out. Um, and again, if you, if you have any prayer requests, um, please contact us. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you. And we're excited about taking this next step with you.